Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. How are you doing today, buddy? Caleb, I'm doing pretty good. It's really been a nice work day. Um, yeah. We have got an awesome team where we work. There's a lot of laughter, and that is a must for stress relief. Uh, we have a stressful job. And they are getting awesomer. They are getting every awesomer. Day. <laughs> every day. Aw- awesomer? They're yeah. getting better. They're getting better. And more and more awesome. Uh, but uh, I still have a grievance. I still have, mm. I still have stuff to complain about, even though things that work about are the pretty team? No, no, no. Oh, okay. oh yeah, I could, but I'm not going to do that on the podcast. That Caleb guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's for later in performance reviews. Oh, um, no, hey. I want to talk about. Nah, you're great. I just want to talk about shoulder pain. I want to take a few minutes of this podcast. I think I've earned it, and I want to talk about shoulder pain. <laughs> you have earned it with one episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I. Uh, I don't know. I I hurt my shoulder and I don't know how. I think it was from throwing a baseball 15 years ago. I don't know. My shoulders have been hurting a lot. So I wanted to vent about that. I've watched a lot of physical therapists' uh, YouTube channels. <laughs> That's cheaper, I, That's cheaper I refuse, than going to one, yeah. I refuse to go to the doctor. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I actually did go to a chiropractor for a while. It didn't really help my shoulder. Let's just say that. Oh, okay. Um, well... It didn't hold my. It didn't didn't help my shoulder. I'm sorry uh, to but hear that, buddy. My stretches from physical therapy from YouTube have helped a lot. So that's a lot better than it has been. But I can't do a push up, Caleb. I used to be uh, a strong man. Don't feel bad. I don't know if I could do one right now. You could do more push ups than me right now. <laughs> Look, we're getting older, man. Getting old ain't pretty. No, I think that uh, my main cause of pain is sleep, and that can't be a good sign. Like it's got to be like, you mean you, you sleep on your shoulder funny? No, I just, I sleep and then my shoulder hurts and it feels better <laughs> when I don't sleep. Gotcha. Well, the cold weather, it's like it stiffens up, right? And, uh, you really, um, it takes a little while to get, get things moving again. <laughs> I, I don't know. How does sleep hurt your shoulder? I don't know. Being older, it okay. makes sleep hurt you. All right. So enough about me. That's my shoulder. <laughs> That's the interesting stuff I brought to talk about before we started talking about cocktails and finance. How are you doing, man? Uh, while we're airing grievances, I mean, I'm glad we're doing a podcast today, Jason, because this brings me a lot of joy. Hopefully it brings other people joy, but uh, I really do look forward to it. I have been, I, I've been fighting with the computer. <laughs> We joke all the time here at work. I I am the resident. I don't want to be offensive. I'm the resident boomer. I'm 35 years old and uh, my computer skills, my my interweb skills are lacking, uh, to say the least. Um, So, as you know, I have a blog uh, that I've been working on. Um, What is that blog? uh, That blog is Chief End of Money. Um, But anyway, uh, I digress. (laughs) You can Uh, you can you can advertise it here we'll oh okay chiefendofmoney.com it's my blog uh i talk about finance and stuff uh (laughs) but uh, we were we're moving the web hosting over um which i thought would be really easy actually i talked to our web guy the other day casey he's uh he's pretty pretty sharp on this stuff right and uh he goes man that'll take me he's like i looked at the website that you built (laughs) this was great he goes i looked at the website you built yeah man i can do that in an hour (laughs) Nice. Thanks, man. It took me a week. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, so we're, we were like trying to move the, the hosting over and all the things that go along with that. I get a text from him and says, hey, we're up and running. Go check it out. See what you think. I go out and I see a couple of things that didn't look right. Quite, I guess, quite right. Um, <laughs> the uh, what I'm being told is there, there's something wrong with the cloud. The, the DNS, the hosting servers servos here's the deal i i don't care who nobody gets the cloud okay nobody (laughs) understands the cloud me of all people i'm not gonna understand that so i i I didn't take that uh real well when he said yeah it's an issue with the cloud and the cloud blah 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 blah." you know anyway me alone nimbus 
I, I guess what's got me serious. <laughs> what's what's Stratos. got me a little bit TO'd here. I'm just getting a little TO'd. <laughs> I, I go out to my new website and um, you know, I'm like, yeah, it looks re- looks really good. Obviously, what he can do in an hour is better than what I can come up with in a week. But I get to page two and I see a blog out there that I put a lot of time and thought into. Um, and, and it's got really good information in there. However, the title is Sorry, I forgot to shave. A conversation about body hair. Is that not what Chief End of Money is about? No. <laughs> like apologizing for body hair mismanagement? No. Now it could be applicable, right? But that's not. <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> it was totally. Uh, I mean, just like out of left field. It, anyway, I. It was explained to me that the cloud is the issue. I'm done ranting. I'm done with the internet. I'm done with it for the day. Listen. We're going to do a podcast because it's fun. It brings me joy. Uh, and I'm going to forget about my blog. You just, I mean, the podcast does have a lot to do with the computer. And you do need to learn the computer better. But I don't have to do it. You're doing it. Uh, that's, what I, that's what I love about this. We've got lovely help to make sure that we are less bad at the podcast. I'm sure everybody wants to hear about everything that's got us, uh, you know, in, in a tizzy uh, this week. But, um, you know, let's let's talk about what we're here for today. What are we sipping on today, Jason? <laughs> yeah, well, let's not talk about the things we're specifically rankled about. Uh, <laughs> today, Caleb, we are sipping on a classic, martinis. Ooh, that's classy and classic. I like that, man. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm not rankled about the martini. No, who can uh, be rankled about martinis? Well, you know, this one does come with some con- uh, some controversy, uh, I think, doesn't it? Uh, don't they all? They all do. <laughs> Everyone gets mad about everything. But but this one, <laughs> this one comes with com- some controversy yeah, in particular. There, there, there might be a little bit more than, than usual. Um, uh, you know, this it does go well with our financial topic of the day, I guess, because... yeah. What we're going to talk about uh, on the finance side of things also brings no lack of controversy, right? That's right. Let's fight. Gold. 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 Yeah. Gold. I love gold. <laughs> <laughs> yes, man. Gold. Dragons hoard it. Women want to be with it. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what better to talk about? Uh, but first, before we dive into gold, which is which is a topic that we discuss with, with lots of our clients... Uh, friends and family ask us about it all the time. It is a it is a good financial topic to talk yeah. about. Uh, but before we dive into that, let's explore the martini some, shall we? Yeah, yeah. So when we're talking controversy, let's get this out of the way, right? Uh, so gin martini, vodka martini, tequila martini, <laughs> rum martini. Don't be ridiculous, Caleb. Oh, goodness. The only question on a martini is how much vermouth to use. That's it. Look, look, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Um, in fact, I think that even James Bond drank martinis. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, James Bond, I'm not familiar. Um, You're no, not I'm familiar. Just, no, I'm just kidding. I know, James I Bond? Know. I was going to say, pause. We're going to watch all the James Bond movies right now. <laughs> we'll get back to you shortly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're back. And we've watched all 1,000 James Bond movies that there are. <laughs> No, so what, I, what's what's your synopsis then on on dude, James I'm, Bond as a whole? I'm familiar with James Bond. I've watched some James Bond movies. I'm sat through awkward intros to James Bond movies with my dad, like many <laughs> oh, yeah. other people my age. <laughs> but uh, James Bond is the kind of guy that can invent his own drink. Let's yeah. let's hand it to him. James Bond can harpoon an airplane and barefoot water ski. While dodging machine gun fire and hijack that plane, James Bond can then assault the pilot and send tons of cash hurtling towards the ground. James Bond can then push that pilot to his seeming death, fly the plane away, and presumably get the girl. James Bond can make his own drink. I I agree with you. I will allow a vodka martini from James Bond. (laughs) Well, you've come a long way since we started uh, digging into the martini a little bit, right? <laughs> you were you were pretty dead set that a, a martini is gin, and that's well, it. Well, he has to call it a vodka martini. 
to to clarify, um, like so, a bourbon martini, martini or a rum martini. But is you know, bourbon martini a thing? I don't think we any anyway. Anyway, if James Bond says it is. <laughs> it is. So it's funny you mentioned sending uh, money out of a plane, and it just reminded me of what's happened here recently with the helicopter <laughs> money. Um, but anyway, it, it's funny that you mentioned James Bond can create his own drink, um, Jason. That is in fact what James Bond did. I'm going to share a little bit uh, of. of um, uh, an excerpt from a novel here, because uh, as, as many of you know, James Bond uh, was not born on the silver screen, right? It was a book uh, by Ian Fleming, or started out as books by Ian Fleming, which Sean were Sean Connery for film. did not invent him. No, 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 no. Uh, so actually, um, the first James Bond novel was Casino Royale, which wasn't a uh, wasn't turned into a movie until recently with Daniel Craig as uh james bond so i know that this isn't uh you know an all about james bond episode but you said he invented a drink he did in fact in the 1953 novel casino royale this is an expert or an excerpt from um from that book where he walks into a bar and says i'm gonna do my best sean connery here oh good even though daniel craig played james bond in casino royale a dry martini he said uh one in a deep champagne goblet bartender says oui monsieur just a moment three measures of gordon's that would be dry gin right one of vodka half a measure of quinolette shake it very well until it's ice cold and add a large thin slice of lemon peel got it the drink is my own invention i'm going to patent it when i think of a good name that's exactly what he did he invented a drink now you just said you got to call it a vodka martini uh, technically, we all think James Bond drinks martinis. Uh, the first drink that he drank in the novels was actually, yes, the drink that he invented himself called a Vesper. Okay, so the Vesper. I'd never heard of this before. Like that scooter um, that people drive. No, around. that's a Vespa. That's a Vespa. Oh. Actually, oh. the drink Vesper was uh, named after the original Bond girl, Vesper Lind. Okay. Uh, a Vesper differs from Bond's usual cocktail of choice, the Martini, in that he uses both gin and vodka, which is interesting. Uh, Kino Lillette instead of vermouth, uh, a lemon peel instead of an olive. Uh, in that same scene, uh, James Bond gives more details about the Vesper, telling the same barman that vodka made from grain instead of potatoes makes the drink even better. I I, I have to play dumb here. I didn't know that vodka uh, could be made of something other than potatoes, but apparently it is. So although, although there's a lot of uh, discussion on the Vesper, uh, it's only ordered once throughout the, the uh, Fleming novels, actually. Um, and later books uh, have Bond ordering uh, regular vodka martinis, though he also does drink the gin martini. So I think we all look at James Bond as a vodka martini drinker. Here's the tally. In the books, in total, James Bond orders 19 vodka martinis and 16 gin martinis throughout oh uh, all of the all of the stories. So that's that's a little interesting snippet. The gin I mar- thought it was interesting. Do the gin martinis card count as vespers in in the stories, or are they separate? No, no, no. The, so the vesper no, was a one. The vesper thing? was a one time thing, and it was gin and vodka. Which, when we did our research, and boy, we did our research, we haven't tried that one. Caleb, you have blown my mind. This is so much more nuanced than I thought. We, we I, might need to pause and try one of these. I don't know. I, yes, we'll be right back. <laughs> we have now drunk 17 different types of martinis. No. Man, I didn't know. I thought James Bond was a vodka martini. That's the worst Sean Connery well, I've ever you're heard. Think, I don't know. Mine was pretty bad, but we're thinking movies, right? Yeah. Folks, read the books. Well, we that. all I, know. I've never read the books, but I think I might pick it up. Well, we should. The book is almost always better than the movie. Let's let's. Oh, I agree. I don't know where that's not true. I could. We could probably. That's probably another episode. We'll talk about that later. Man, that is that is big news. I did not know that <laughs> James Bond was a gin martini fan. I did not know that he created his own drink. I did know that he ordered a vodka martini, which which made most people. From then on, think that a martini was with vodka and shaken. They just thought that was normal. Um, I was I was pretty uh, pretty certain that uh, we didn't put vodka in martinis. I I 
I thought we would just go with gin all the time because gin is the superior liquor. <laughs> I kind of agree with you there. Uh, the funny thing is you, you brought up shaken, not stirred, because that's the big one everybody knows. Oh, oh yeah. Shaken, yeah, yeah, shaken yeah. not stirred. Not stirred. Um, so Casino Royale was the first uh, James Bond novel. And in the movie Casino Royale, Daniel Craig plays James Bond and the bartender asks, shaken or stirred? And you know what he says? What? Do I look like I give a d-? You can't I, say it, that. It's kind of funny, right? <laughs> that is, well, it's paying homage to the, yeah. to the old ones. Yeah, That's I don't good know. Stuff. That's pretty cool and all that, but I am no fan of vodka. I do not understand using vile potato alcohol in a classic cocktail like the martini. Yeah, what's potatoes, precious? <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. But, but not, not in martinis. In martinis. We agree on that. <laughs> We're not vodka fans. No, that's that's interesting. But um, interestingly enough, uh, I, I we, we've talked about controversy in this episode. And I know this is maybe out of the scope of what we're doing here. But who do you think the best James Bond is? Well, uh, I got a soft spot for Timothy Dalton. His hair mm. was lovely in those movies. Uh, but Roger Moore. I know I most people go with uh, the great Sean Connery, uh, but Roger Moore is James Bond to me. When I think of James Bond, I picture Roger Moore. I like those movies the best. That's it's Roger Moore. Sir right? Roger Moore. Really? And, and Sir Sean Connery. Yeah, both of them were knights. Cool, right? Wow. Yeah, that is cool. Mm-hmm. Huh. No, I, I, I like Sean Connery. I like Roger Moore. I'm about to blow your mind, honestly. <laughs> And you know me, I like classic movies. I usually like the old stuff better than the new. My favorite Bond is the Blonde Bomb. Bond. The Blonde Bond. Daniel Craig. (laughs) Daniel Craig is the best James Bond. I said it. I think that you're suffering from recency bias, my friend. I don't think so. Now, I I would say my favorite Bond movie is Dr. No. That was the first movie. Um, Mm. The setup is nice. Sean Connery was was a great... Bond. He was kind of goofy, though. If you He's look Sean back Connor. at those movies, some of the jokes in there are really they're, that's they're not pretty his ridiculous. Fault, but he is the Highlander. I agree. I love Sean Connery. I love I love Sir Sean Connery, Sir Roger Moore. But honestly, I think Daniel Craig is the James Bond. I gotta think you're suffering from some recency bias. Daniel Craig is great. The effects in those movies are better. The storyline is is good. I mean, Daniel Craig is like ripped, like you would assume James Bond should be. He's edgy, dude. Yeah, I don't know. I, He's a the cool fight guy. scenes are better. I like Roger Moore when I think of it. I just well, I don't know. everybody everybody gets an opinion. Now, I think we would probably agree on this one. Favorite Bond video game? Goldeneye. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there are other good James Bond video games, but especially I think folks in their 30s uh, and maybe into their 40s have a huge soft spot for Goldeneye. Oh, yeah, that was, a, that was a great game. And I think anytime we talk, it should be uh, it should be slappers only <laughs> slappers only. Yes, <laughs> definitely. You know, we had a date night a few months ago. My wife and I not you and I, my <laughs> wife and I <laughs> had a date night the other and we did it old school, man. We threw Totino's pizzas in the oven. We ate chocolate pudding from a can. <laughs> and we played. We got the N64 out and played Goldeneye. Do you want to know what's different about now versus then? Bagel bites are illegal. Ooh. <laughs> what else is different? After playing for like an hour, I was nauseous, man. I was sick to my stomach. I couldn't play anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> uh, that's probably enough about James Bond. Although I think probably the most famous um, martini drinker out there, right? He's got to be. Wouldn't I, you say? Yeah, I, I can't think of anybody else when I think when I think of martinis. I think of James Bond. Well, we've established that you and I believe that a real martini does not include vodka. What does it include, Jason? Well, Caleb. As is our tradition on this long-running program, we consult (laughs) David Embry's Fine Art of Mixing Drinks because he's smart. Uh, The martini is one of his essential, uh, six essential cocktails. So he makes it like this. Seven parts of an English gin, one part French vermouth. That's just a fancy way of saying a dry dry vermouth. Stir with ice, strain into a cocktail glass, 
twist lemon peel over the top, and serve garnished with an olive, preferably one stuffed with any kind of nut. Hmm. Yeah. Embry also states that sherry is a nice substitute for vermouth. So if you're running low on vermouth, but for some reason you have a bottle of sherry, you can use that instead. Interesting. We didn't try that, did we? Not yet, but we do have a bottle of sherry in the (laughs) fridge for that. So that's, uh, it, you know, for those of you listening at home that want to mix it up with us a little bit and uh, drink what we're drinking, that's that's what we're having right now. And I got to say, it's good. Um, mm-hmm. So enjoy your uh, your martini at home while I share a little bit of history about the martini. All right. Um, so, Jason, I, I don't know if you know when the martini was or, uh, originated, where it came from, but um, the lore goes back to the gold rush, actually. All so, right. Uh, during the gold rush, a miner from Sierra, Nevada, struck it rich. At the time, he was accustomed to drinking what was called a Martinez, uh, a drink of Old Tom Gin, Sweet Vermouth, Luxardo, Maraschino liquor. I'm not familiar with that. I don't know. And bitters. Um, that's believed to um, have been in the uh, the Martinez, which was originated in Martinez, California. Ah. So to make the drink a little bit more to his taste, I mean, realize this guy walks into a bar and he's newly rich, so he's calling the shots, right? Uh, He asked the bartender to cut the Luxardo, get rid of it, switch from Angostura to Orange Bitters. Um, Jerry Thomas's Bartender's Guide uh, is the source for that one. Um, So, you know, just mixing it up a little bit, right? Uh, The term martini... Actually, preceded cocktail. I don't know if you knew this. No, I did um, not know that. <laughs> uh, but it began as a beverage that you'd order in a hotel. Then it died out with prohibition. So you could say that this drink was prehibition. I think anyway. that we will have to put that idea on ice. Oh, oh, okay, okay. That means move on. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, a lot of cocktails and drink mixing and all that died out during Prohibition. But yeah, during Prohibition, people started adding ingredients that were typically mixed uh, with spirits such as sugar uh, and all that. And, and, you know, the reason I think a lot of people think, well, it makes it a little bit more drinkable. Actually, using fresh citrus juice and sugar and all that kind of stuff leaves a, leaves a less boozy smell on your breath. So if someone came in and busted up a speakeasy, they were able to toss those drinks and uh, you wouldn't smell the alcohol on their breath as much. So the martini is a secret drink. Then. Yes. At, well, and as was the old fashioned and all those other old timey drinks, right? Got it. Okay. So we're just trying to hide the fact that we're drinking when we drink these. <laughs> yeah, basically, that, yeah, that's what they were doing, right? Oh, okay. But yeah, anyway, so the, the moral of the story is, um, you know, we talked about James Bond inventing a drink. Well, this guy who struck it rich uh, during the gold rush uh, decided to make his own drink and it stuck, right? People started, hey, what's that guy drinking over there? I want one of those. You know, in San Francisco, they started ordering the martini, not the Martinez. So uh, pretty cool. Just a, a couple of little twists, right? But nobody goes into a bar and orders a Martinez anymore. No. They want a martini, right? Well, yeah, because James Bond orders it. (laughs) So uh, going back as far as recipes go, uh, Frank Newman uh, elaborated in his novel American Bar in 1904. Uh, At the time, these were made with gin and martini and Rossi dry vermouth, which we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Dolan vermouth, which I think we used in this one. Yes, uh, we did. Was available and so was Carpano Antica. Um, however, Rossi had the money for the marketing. That was the brand that took off and they're still around to this day because of that. So I think you and I would both agree out of the three, right? The Carpano, the, uh, Dolan and the Rossi, the Rossi is probably not the greatest, right? I think it's a third uh, in that race between those three. I think it comes in third. Yeah. What's funny is it's it's been the most popular. So when we're looking at the history of the drink and all that kind of stuff, uh, you get into the 1980s, right? The 1980s. Let's be honest, you and I, we came from the 1980s. But aside from that, music wasn't great. There's some good stuff, right? Oh but yeah. The 1980s were rough for music. It was rough for fashion. For crying out loud, I saw pictures of my grandma at my parents' wedding, and she looked older in 1985 <laughs> than she looks now. Now, my grandma looks wonderful. Um, She's a beautiful lady. But the 80s weren't real kind in general. They weren't kind of (laughs) cocktails either, Jason. Really? Uh, This is when all the craziness started with martinis. It became very popular. 
people started throwing passion fruit in there, watermelon, all that Why? crazy stuff. Uh, it's not really a martini anymore. So going back to the original, we're drinking real martinis. You go out to a bar, be careful. If you order a martini or anything that ends in teeny, you might not be getting the real thing. <laughs> awesome, man. Goodness. That was I a talked lot a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was so much information on martinis. I feel a lot smarter about martinis now and more ingrained and set in my ways that yeah. I am correct you're, about you're how I You're leaning into them. the gin, right? Gin. Yeah. A little vermouth. Dolan <laughs> is probably the best. And that's pretty much it. Twist of lemon, maybe. If you like that salty armpit taste <laughs> of an olive we, we disagree about that a little i like <laughs> olives i i really like the briny taste i wouldn't uh, i don't know what an armpit tastes like so <laughs> sure you don't okay <laughs> what a great transition into our finance talk yeah, gold rush, right? <laughs> yeah, going back to the gold rush. Let's talk about gold. Gold. How much should you own? Should you own it? How should you own it? Where should you bury it? <laughs> A lot of these are great questions about gold. Some of them are real questions we actually get. Some of them are actually meaningful. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jason, this is going to be a doozy. Uh, and so I'm glad that we've got at least one martini <laughs> down already. <laughs> Caleb, we are about to ruin any chance of being sponsored. I thought that was a real, <laughs> a real possibility. But we are about to ruin any chance of being sponsored by a company that sells gold. They seem to support a lot of a lot of podcasts out there, so maybe this isn't very smart. Hey, man, we've never let that cloud our judgment before. Why start now? <laughs> what, being smart or the or the cloud? Hey, let's not get into the cloud, okay? I'm done with the cloud. Okay, We're done with let's it. do this. We're talking about gold. Gold is awesome. Martinis are awesome. We're awesome. Let's do this. Yes, yes. Let's do this. <laughs> so this is a topic, Jason, that comes up a lot. Right. I mean, how many times has a client come in for a review and said, hey, should we own gold? Anytime that they are afraid of something that comes up, anytime fear point. comes into the conversation, people will ask about gold. I mean, I was joking about getting a sponsorship earlier, but there is something to be said for the fact that people are buying ads on podcasts to mm -hmm. sell gold. Uh, and it, it 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 seems to go hand in hand with the climate of of fear and greed that we see often in investing. It happens mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah, a lot of my favorite podcasts actually they'll do the little in between commercials, folks. You won't have to worry about that here. <laughs> <laughs> they do the commercials about gold, and um, it's really I mean, without spoiling it. It's tough for me whenever I really like the podcast, I really like the content, and then it's just the pure, unadulterated gold salesman. Right? Yeah, Caleb, I have to interrupt right now and read okay. this word from our sponsors. Now, from 1-800-SELL-SOME-GOLD-TO-YOU, I would like to say that every once in a while comes an opportunity to make the most correct investing decision of your lifetime. And this could be it. Buy gold from me. I will charge you a commission, but it's not that much. And you should have gold. I'm just joking. Well, you, you've got to pay somebody <laughs> to hold this gold. And that's the big thing, right? What's funny about that uh, once in a while opportunity is it seems like it's always now. Yeah. I. So I'm really soured and really cynical um, yeah. for one. I think the first... The first indication of whether or not you should buy gold from someone is where they advertise. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if it's coming on a commercial right after adult diapers and <laughs> life alert and, you know, uh, you know, whatever the, other embarrassing the, the commercial insurance. it is to watch. Yeah, I, that's probably an, indica an, an indication that it's not an investment that is really being clamored after in the real market. I yeah. Matlock approves gold. You should buy gold. <laughs> yeah. And since we're not being paid to sell you gold, uh, we're not uh, we're not advising that you get it uh, just for the sake of owning it. So there's a lot of confusion in this area of buying gold because I think the first item to address in whether or not to buy gold is the the emotional 
part of it. So gold, Caleb, has been a stand-in for money for a long time. Uh, Don't you think it makes sense to buy gold if you don't think that our monetary system is in good shape? Well, way back, uh, our our monetary system was entirely backed by gold. That was a long time ago now. Um, But yeah, I I get the fear, right? There's always something to be afraid of. There's always a reason to worry about our currency and what's going on around the world and and all that kind of stuff. Um, It just... The problem I have is it's it feels like it's preying on fear. It's always rooted in fear. Would would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Because gold is a commodity. There's not an income creating aspect. To it, gold. it doesn't do anything. No, it just sits there. It's like bricks or rice. Like it may have a use in some right. sort of economy. That's true. But it's not like owning real estate, or it's not like owning an investment even, or a CD for crying out loud, something that earns you money. Gold is sitting there and it stays gold. It stays pretty, shiny, malleable metal. And and that can be- And you should pay somebody to hold it for you, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And I want to clarify here, okay? Because here's the deal. Um, Gold, I think uh, the uses for gold is what's been twisted in all of this, Right. Gold serves as a currency hedge or, you know, you can even say an inflation hedge in some regards. But really, I I don't know about you. I've never had a client, you know, that comes into a meeting and says, you know, I'm really worried about the political landscape here. I'm really worried about, you know, trade relations with this country or, or whatever. I'm really worried about what's going on in the world. I think we should buy gold. What do you think about moving two to five percent of our portfolio to gold? That's not what I hear. What I hear is, should we move to all gold now? Because I think the world is ending. My initial response to that is, if it's as bad as you think it's going to get, your money's not worth anything. Your gold's not worth any, anything. Our stock market, none of this is worth anything. And I'm not the first guy you're going to call, right? Yeah, it's uh, I take an example from, uh, I think, Tim Ferriss is who uh, outlined fear setting. So I just right. go right to worst case scenario planning with folks that are like, we need to buy gold. Why? Because everything's falling apart and gold will remain when everything falls apart. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, you're saying gold is a good idea because everything is falling apart. So what's falling apart? Well, our country. Okay. Uh, I'll take that. Our country is falling apart. It's been apart. falling apart for 200 plus yeah. years. <laughs> it's going to, let's just say our country is going to completely tear apart at the seams and become nothing, nothing even close to what it is now. Like, like picture the Roman empire falling. That's what's yeah. happening to the, the United States. And then therefore the world will fall after. So you say, or I say, you say that's happening. So I say, you think gold is where, first of all, you're betting that that is going to happen. And right. I mean, I, I know people, I, I am old enough to remember Y2K fairly clearly. Oh, yeah. And I know people were thinking the same thing then as they kind of are now. Um, so you're betting that that is what's going to happen. Okay. Now I can be convinced that, that we're moving that direction. It, I don't personally believe that the world is ending, but you know, it could be, and I could be wrong. So let's take that and let's say that you're right. The world is ending. You want to move all of your possessions, all of your investments, your life savings into everything you've worked so hard for, right? Right. Everything you've slaved for. You want a shiny metal. That can be used for monster cables for your guitar. I was or... just going to say, it's a great electrical conductor, right? Uh, you want it so that people can have pretty jewels. You're gonna, And you're just hoping that you can trade your hunks of gold for bread, right? Like what you're going to need when something like this happens is guns, ammunition, <laughs> dried food, razor wire. Like you're going to need... You're going to need different This podcast assets. is going in a different direction than I thought it would. <laughs> Sorry. If you're if you're a preferable, buy gold, buy razor wire. <laughs> well, if you think if the reason for buying gold is because the world is ending and you're going to need something to take care of yourself, yeah. Why not why not dried food? And you know, you hear other other radio shows have advertisements right. for that right hey, along they with went the to the gold. next logical step. Yeah. Well, yeah. So if you think that the world is ending, gold's probably not the best currency to move to. I, I get that gold has been traded as a currency since time immemorial. 
and right. silver and all those precious metals. I get that. Uh, but it's never been as valuable as horses or seeds for food planting or razor wire or fences <laughs> or a battery like nowadays. Like, can you imagine <laughs> the fall of Rome having a computer? You should have a computer with a <laughs> anyway. I, I think that that's part of the reason that gold is is sold. You're preying on people's emotions, and people do feel a little out of control yeah. almost all the time, especially now with political upheaval. So why is gold what makes people feel better though? Owning be- owning physical gold. And we're talking about I th- I think we're kind of talking about owning physical gold here, right? Well, yeah, right now. And that's usually and physical gold is usually the the thing that's standing behind the other investments that people want. People want gold, so they buy some gold to diversify. Well, they're hoping that there's some gold out there somewhere in real life backing that yeah. up, right? And well, you're our, paying our dollar is you're you're paying for somebody to hold it, so I hope it's real. <laughs> right. Well, that's another topic. <laughs> that's another <laughs> Hopefully it's real. Let's just let's just say that it is. Uh you're hoping that it retains value for trade in the future, I guess. Like that's that's when you are listening to these radio shows and you're listening to YouTube videos and people that are trying to sell you gold based on fear. Um, that's usually the place that your mind's going, or at least mine is. Uh, and I don't just gold doesn't make any sense in an apocalyptic scenario. Like, you know, if you have a bunch of gold, the guy with the gun is going to take all of your gold. <laughs> That's what happens. And, and he's going to make jewelry out of it. Yeah. And then he'll set up an economy and gold will be worth something there. No, I, it, all joking aside. I, yeah, I, I don't hate gold. It's the idea that we have to move everything or a, a significant portion of our wealth to gold. Why? It's because we're scared. We are talking about zombie apocalypse situations and if we're really taking that scenario all the way to the end it's craziness no you should be learning how to survive without electricity rather than investing in gold if that's if that's what you think is going to happen and and you know and it could happen and we could look like big idiots because we're inside cats that can't start a fire that's true i mean we do a a pretty good job of looking like idiots anyway um (laughs) So let me <laughs> let me ask you, Jason. Um, do you hate gold in general? Would you never have gold in a portfolio? Is there a place for gold? No, no. There's not a place for gold. There's a place for gold, maybe in your wristwatch, maybe in your wedding band, but in your investment portfolio. I'm saying I would not. There are better options than gold. I. Why would you have it? Uh, there's. Is there a place for it? So there are traders. That will buy and sell ahead of the market. And they're mostly playing on greed and fear, which are the the two things that move gold prices. Right. That's it. It's it's fear and greed. That's what moves a, a commodities price. Like, so and, traditionally, and traditionally, gold has served in a portfolio as a, let's say, inflation hedge or even as a currency hedge, right? So, I mean... Where could you realistically see gold playing um, a valuable part in your portfolio? Let's 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 just think this out here. Gold has a non-correlated relationship with the stock market. So if okay, I were now to there's really value in that, it, right? There is I, some value in that. Maybe if you want something that's totally erratic. Uh-huh. You could have gold. It it does at the stock. So stocks and bonds is what most people's portfolios are made up of, right? Um, and most of our clients too. So stocks go up. The reason you have bonds is to take some of the volatility out of the stocks because traditionally, historically, not all the time, stocks and bonds have an inverse relationship. Stocks go up, bonds go down, bonds go up, stocks go down. Uh, that's a little bit predictable. And what it does is it overall takes some of the giant fluctuations out of your portfolio. Yeah, it's a seesaw, right? Yeah, kind of. People can't see us, but we're making seesaw (laughs) motions with our hands. Uh, And gold is non-correlated. So that means it does not care what the stock market is doing. It's its own thing. It's going to go up and down uh, based on different factors. They may be kind of related at the time, but over history, they're not related. So what I'm saying is generally, and this isn't, there are traders that make money on gold all the time by saying, mm-hmm. hey, our monetary policy is dumb. Uh, 
or we're printing money. The Fed is being crazy. We better have some gold because gold has traditionally been a flight to safety for people when stuff gets crazy. Like think about 2008 and nine. There are some people that played the gold trade really well. And that's fine. But I'm saying for the the average investor, the person that is just trying to appreciate their savings over a long period of time, which is most of the people that we work with, gold has no place in your portfolio because it is it is out there all by itself doing its own thing. And I, I think it's just too much risk. If, if I can interject here, I, I you know, the way I, that I... I hear what you're saying, and I think what what a lot of folks think when when gold, I, I guess, um, w- when the topic comes up is this: you, you you brought up 2008, 2009. We remember that, right? And we talked about the inverse relationship of stocks and bonds. But let's go back to 2008. Everything went down. Mm-hmm. Everything, right? And I think that in that scenario, a lot of people look at it um, the same way that they would look at maybe owning real estate or, you know, owning land, right? I have a hard asset that no matter what the market say something is worth, no matter what stocks and bonds are doing, I at least own something tangible I can go get my hands on, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's where some of the, I guess the comfort plays in is that, well, at least I'm buying a hard asset, right? Something that I can go touch and feel no matter, you know, your stock portfolio. And this isn't the case, but a lot of people think, well, my stock portfolio could go to zero, but at least I own the gold. At least I own the land, insert whatever here, right? I I think that that's, that's what I've heard over the years. In 2008, there was no rhyme or reason to, there was definitely a rhyme or reason uh, why things went down, but everything went down all at once, right? So the idea was, well, if you own gold, you at least own something. And, and this is what I try to remind clients of: look, stocks and bonds are not mystical uh, numbers on a statement. If you own stock in a company, you own part of a company that is earning and making money and generating revenue, right? If you own a bond. That means a company owes you money and they're going to pay you on the regular, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's an agreement that you have with that company that you can buy or sell at any given point in time. You still have something tangible. It just doesn't feel as tangible as gold, right? right. And I think that that's where a lot of the, the gold conversation, it, it preys on the fear of, well, you can't, go, you can't go get your hands on those stocks and bonds. And if it goes to zero, you got nothing. But at least if you have gold, you've got gold. Yeah, people have an intrinsic value associated with gold, but I can't I still can't see it. It's it doesn't go bad, so it's still going to be gold all the time. But like with land, which you brought up, mm-hmm. land can be an income producing asset. Grow some trees on it. Maybe you have an orchard, maybe you have timber. Grow some crops on it. You got corn or soybeans or some sorbe- soybeans. You got something. <laughs> uh that can be produced. You could sell it and develop it. You could put real estate on it. Maybe you got potatoes and you can make vodka out of it. Why would you do that? (laughs) (laughs) So I think gold is, I get people making trades on it based off of fear or greed. I am not about that. The same with playing the stock market like it's a casino, trying Mm -hmm. to get ahead of things um, by buying and selling. That's how people are making a lot of money off of gold. Gold isn't traditionally a buy and hold asset. Land prices, if we're going to use that as, a, as an, an analog, uh, they have historically gone up. Land prices are not fixed. You and I both grew up on, in farm households. Mm-hmm. We understand the farmer's viewpoint towards land. They don't ever make more of it. If, right. it become, if it comes up for sale, you buy it. Land goes up in value. But the reason that farmers are buying land isn't because it appreciates and they're going to sell it later. It's because they can use it and they can make money off of it. And that's where land and a lot of other fixed assets are different than something like gold. Gold, silver, platinum, all those precious metals are a lot more like other commodities, except they're not even consumable in the same way that like rice or beans are. They're they're just sitting there and it seems like their price because it's so tied to sentiment that's why i want to stay away with it st- stay away from it completely and why whenever a client or an acquaintance asks me about gold i'm like just don't touch it man you don't need it it's 
So what you're saying is you're bringing emotions into investing, which is probably not a good idea. Yeah. Emotions and investing shouldn't go along uh, together. And, you know, to kind of add on to what you're saying here, you know, I think gold is pitched as the safe asset. You know, your Mm -hmm. stocks and bonds are going to go all over the place and it's not really safe. It's kind of like playing, you know, in the casino. It's, it's kind of like pulling on the slot machine. Um, and and gold is always thrown out there as the, this is safe. This Mm -hmm. is reliable. You know, gold, right? Yeah. But really when you look at it, you know, you look at, at at the fluctuation and price of gold, it, that's more speculative of an asset than stocks and bonds. Right. Um, and when we talk about speculative, right, uh, you, you look at things that have happened in the markets here over the past couple of months with uh, a lot of the short squeezes, the short selling. I'm not going to mention any companies in particular. Right. But you have folks that say, I don't know. It seems like people are making a lot of money here. Should I jump into that? And I say, no, stop. We're talking about speculative investing and we don't do that here. Right. Yeah. Like you said before, when we own stocks and bonds, we own something and we're going to make a decision. Do we want to own what we're buying, right? Yeah. Do we believe in the product? Do we believe in the company? That, that's why we're going to buy it and hold it. Gold is insanely speculative. And to that point, you know, I had a client years ago that I, I inherited a, a book of business at the, um, at the last employer, you know, years ago. And, um, so I, I had a client who called me and said, hey, I, I really want to talk about our portfolio here. I, I think we need to move to gold. Uh, I said, you know what? Let's get together. Let's talk about this. She held a mutual fund. It was a kind of a balanced, moderate mutual fund. You know, performance was pretty decent. Um, you know, since 2008, 2009, uh, things have gone pretty well in general. A balanced fund has returned a, a pretty decent amount in general. Well, she was worried about the political climate. Right. This was a couple of years ago. I'm not talking about recent political climate or anything like that. Uh, she says, I think we need to move to gold. And I said, OK, tell me a little bit more about what you're thinking. Why? Why are we moving to gold? Well, you know, with the political climate, with all the uncertainty, uncertainty, there's always uncertainty. Right. Mm-hmm. The idea was I want something that's safe. I want something that's always going to be there. Right. So I, I said, I'm going to tell you what. And, and I explained, you know, the speculative nature of investing in gold and all these things and, you know, what you own when you have stocks and bonds and all that kind of good stuff that we've just talked about. I, I said, we're going to play a game here. OK, I'm going to print off a couple of fact sheets. All right. You own one of these funds. The other one is is a gold fund, essentially. We weren't even talking about owning physical gold, but essentially this is a fund that tracks the value of gold. OK. So I covered up the, the the name of the mutual funds, right? And all we saw there was um, uh, a track record of the the performance, you know, the uh, the the line graph that showed all the up and down movements. And I turned around to her and I said, "Okay, you tell me which one you want to own. You're scared. You're worried right now. Um, there's a lot of turmoil going on. What do you want to own in this in this case?" And she, without hesitation, pointed to one. She said, "That one. I want that one." right? Stable, predictable. I want that. And I said, congratulations, you already own it. <laughs> right? She was baffled when we looked at the gold fund, the The volatility and the price was all over the place because it was speculative. And I said, mm-hmm. Mrs. Client, you're not a speculative investor. Um, you have bought into the idea that gold is safe. Mm-hmm. It's not safe. And, and the idea of, uh, and, and I'm not saying here, Everybody sell your gold. It's not safe. That's not what I'm saying, right? Yeah. But if that's why, and and I think most clients come to us in that position, I'm worried about things. I want to move to something a little safer. Gold's not the place you want to be. Um, that that price moves all over the place. It's speculative. It only takes a headline to move that, right? Yeah, um, exactly. So I, I think, you know, when we look at that, you, you got to, it's emotion. And I think you just got to separate the two, right? That's why it's really good to have, I'm not going to get on my soapbox here and talk about a financial plan and executing and sticking with it. But that's why it's really important to have that stuff hammered out because there's always a reason to be afraid. If anything was going to be our disclosure uh, in this (laughs) podcast, it'd be that you need a good financial plan. We're not saying that gold has no part in it, though it probably doesn't. But 
it's important to make sure you know what you're trying to accomplish. And if you look back on the track record of an, an investment type like gold, uh, it probably might not fit in the way that you think that it will as a stabilizing force in your portfolio, because there's, there is volatility in that just like there is in lots of other investments. Like looking back at the performance or annualized performance of of gold as a commodity or, or uh, maybe a, as a gold ETF, like looking at it, it looks pretty good uh, until you get to a 10 year annualized return. And like we have a lot, like right now, you and I talking about gold right now. So since 2009, gold, gold has done pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, what have stocks done? Be <laughs> better. But if you started back in like 2000 and looked at a comparison chart, it took a long time for stocks to get back to where where gold is. Like if you look back at like like 2005 or so, or don't quote me on that, but you start there, it takes a long time for the S&P 500 to catch up just as an index. But then it then it, you know, it pulls away drastically, but not at certain points at March 2020 with the covid shutdown happening, stocks were lower than where gold was from 25 years before then for a whole month. But it really depends on when you're looking at historical values too, you're cherry picking start dates. So you got to right. be you got to be really aware of that. Um, you've got to make an apples to apples comparison when you're looking at these things. And when you do that, you see that gold is a volatile asset. Uh, and it's just that it's it's a thing to buy and hold on to. And if you I, I just can't I haven't run across any scenario where having gold as an income producing or an appreciating asset made a lot of sense in someone's portfolio. The only times that we've done it is when somebody is convinced uh-huh. that that things as they are now are going to be irreparably undone. And if that's the case and you're convinced about that, I'm not going to tell you that that you're wrong or that you're a conspiracy theorist or that you're <laughs> wacky. I'm you just going to say, well, you and you could be and <laughs> I could be, but that that just doesn't fit in with what the data shows me or with what a what what when we do planning, we we do factor in worst case scenarios, right. but I don't plan on the absolute worst thing happening. If I did, I would plan that you'll become disabled next week. Now we'll right. put things in in place in our financial plans that allow gold in for your that portfolio doesn't solve that problem. Does no, it? no, it I, I and that's that's what I'm getting to. What problem does it solve? It solves mm-hmm. if we go back to a gold standard. I, I would put it this way, Jason. Um, I, I don't even hate necessarily the idea of having a little tiny bit of gold in your portfolio. It sounds like I hate it a lot more than you. You you might. I don't. I'm not a big fan, obviously. Um, but, you know, I can see as a currency hedge and things like that, what we hear all the time is it's an inflation hedge. Well, folks, the best inflation he- inflation hedge historically is stocks. You can't beat it. Uh, you're not going to beat stocks over the long term as far as inflation. So if that's your concern, gold's not the place to be. Right. Um, in summation, you know, I can see maybe a place in the portfolio. But my gosh, I tell everybody no more than three, four, five percent max. When clients come to ask, uh, come to us asking these questions, they are saying, you know, I want to move to all gold or shouldn't we move half of this to gold? By no means. Um, you know, and, and that yeah. really it goes into, gosh, maybe another podcast on why it's so important to have a, a, a well thought out plan, execute on the plan, take emotions out of it. And I think that's what gold is preying on is the emotions. Absolutely, it is. I mean, it could be as simple as talking about diversification, which is probably another podcast. But uh, gold is like any individual stock that you would own. Sure. Like you don't right. want it to have too much sway over your portfolio. Like I would absolutely put the brakes on uh, if gold as an asset becomes more than ten percent of your total investable uh, assets that you have. Then you have too much concentration. You're overly concentrated in gold. It controls what happens to your portfolio too much. Totally agree. I think that anybody listening to this podcast can probably figure out where we stand on this. So in summary, if you're really feeling the urge to buy gold, you're listening to that podcast, you hear that Mm -hmm. commercial, you want to go buy gold, call your financial advisor, talk it through. Uh, Don't make decisions based on emotions. That's about all I'm going to say on that, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, uh, you know, uh, 
in, to kind of sum it all up, if there's any specific questions, any, any listeners out there might have, yeah. feel free to send us an email. Let us know. We love to answer questions. That's what we do for a living. If you yeah. do have any questions about this topic, send us an email. Jason, speaking of questions, it's time for questions straight up. This week's uh, question comes from Kristen, actually. Um, I know my spouse is my primary beneficiary, but should I name my kids or their guardians as a contingent beneficiary? That's a good question. Uh, That's hopping into estate planning. Um, And assuming that Kristen means... Uh, on her investment accounts, since this is a finance podcast. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if she means her investment accounts, having your spouse as your primary beneficiary is a good best practice, so that part is great. Um, having your kids as the contingent beneficiaries versus their guardians, that has a lot to do with, with what your will says, wouldn't, wouldn't you say, Caleb? Yeah, it, it can be problematic. Um I think a lot of it has to do with how old your kids are. And, you know, I know we're not planning on going anywhere tomorrow. Right. Um, but that is why we put beneficiaries on accounts. Um, gosh, in this kind of a scenario, I hate to punt a little bit, but I think this is a great opportunity to involve your, uh, you know, attorney that helps you out with your will estate planning and things like that. But I would say that in general, leaving, um, leaving assets to minors gets a little bit sticky. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I've got five young kids and uh, they're all minors. They're they're all young. They're so close together in age. <laughs> uh, but th- those five kids, I talked to, to my attorney and uh, when we're drawing our wills up, we uh, employed use of the Uniform Gifts to Minors Act uh, for if in the event that my wife and I both die simultaneously, how our kids are taken care of which does actually send life insurance proceeds uh, to the guardians for the care of our kids. That might not be best for everyone. That kind of stuff really depends on the state that you're in too. So yeah, Caleb, you're right. I You got to talk to a good attorney uh, in your state about how you should be titling your beneficiaries on everything. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, again, don't uh, hesitate to utilize the resources that you have. I know a lot of people are afraid to go to an attorney. They hear attorney, they think, oh, this is going to be expensive. But let me tell you, if you have a good one, they're worth every penny uh, for the information they're going to give you, for the guidance they're going to give you. Uh, Don't be afraid. And a lot will give you a free consultation if you're not working with anybody up front to kind of give you an idea of what you're working with. So great question. Fantastic question. We can't give a definitive because everybody's situation is a little bit different. Right. This is the part of the show when we invite our listeners to speak easy about whatever's on their mind. You see what we did there, Jason? (laughs) Yes. We're very clever, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) This is a great place to share recipes, stories, or any thoughts, questions, or emotional outbursts that you might have. Jason, did anything come into the speakeasy this week? Caleb, this week's speakeasy is from a client of mine whose name I shall not share. There are those (laughs) that call him... Tim? Tim. (laughs) (laughs) It's not Tim. Anyway, he tells us a story uh, that I thought was awesome and I wanted to share. So uh, he he says his wife's parents gifted he and his wife a bottle of wine the day that they bought their house about 25 years ago. Nothing too fancy, but they've let it age since then and they plan to drink it when they pay the house off, which is going to happen in the next two months. Yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's cool. We talked in the last episode about paying off debt and um, you know how that makes you feel. That that's really that is cool, man. Because if you think about it, every time you're looking at the wine rack, you're thinking, "I gotta pay that house off if I want to taste this." Right? Yeah, I want to drink that, that Boone's that Boone's Farm bottle of wine is gonna be terrific, right? <laughs> <laughs> that that's a really cool idea, man. I I like that. I think uh, I think more folks should do that. That's 
I'm pretty that's, sure that's a I, cool story. I'm gonna steal that. Like my kids, when they get older and they buy their first house, I think that's an awesome idea to buy them like an okay bottle of wine and let them <laughs> age it. Like you know, the five dollar bottle of wine still maybe better twenty five years later. I don't know, but uh, Man, I think that's very, a really cool idea. Very cool, Tim. <laughs> enjoy that bottle of wine enjoy the hard work congratulations man heck you yeah earned it <laughs> well well thanks for having a drink with us folks uh this week it's time to close out the tab if you want your story featured on the old-fashioned finance podcast be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com we would love to hear from you don't forget to write us a review on itunes and share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's bluejfg.com and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers. Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction, unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation.